Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, welcome to a rainy, dreary Monday, December 9th. Thank God the Steelers won yesterday. This would be one of those... You know, you can literally see it, uh, people's faces on the bus. I mean, it it is just like, you know, abject misery. <clears throat> so, here we are. I, I should just, uh, you know, get you up to speed on a few things, actually. Um, City Paper, where I sit now, uh, is moving. Uh, and it will be moving in a week or two two weeks and um we will be taking those uh, we're going to be missing for a while while this is um this occurs uh we're not moving far we're still going to be on smithfield downtown but uh in less expensive digs i believe uh and closer to a river Anyway, all is good, but um, there is that, and that, I don't know where exactly we'll be doing the show from. I don't think it's going to be this expansive <laughs> room from what I seem to glean from uh, conversations. Um, so just to let you know that uh, this program, which has endured more than enough um, issues with uh, div uh, just getting our stuff out there is um, heading into uh, another sort of upheaval of sorts. Uh, also, uh, this week <coughs> will be truncated as well. I'm sorry. It's that time of year. I mean, stuff's just uh, happening. And I will not be able to be here on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. So... We got today, we have tomorrow, and uh, thus far our phones are not working <laughs> today. So guys, you can't, I mean, I'll let you know if uh, if we manage to get that, it's Skype, right? Get it up. So that's some of what I think I I needed to tell you. Uh, I am, I think I'm officially on overload. Uh, I now go through newspapers like, I, I check out headlines and nothing and I mean nothing compels me, uh, grabs me, makes me want to know more. I'm officially overloaded, I think. And I am not unlike, I suspect, uh, millions of other people. Uh, living in this increasingly overwhelmingly stressful <laughs> world. And I can't tell you how many times people say to me, boy, you must, uh, my, you don't have any trouble finding stuff to talk about these days, do you? And strangely, that was true in the first few years of this uh, horror uh, known as the Trump presidency, but it's not true anymore because it it all feels the same. It's just the same kind of story over and over and over again. And it seems as to me that there is very little left to say, which then makes the job um, I have <laughs> rather difficult. Has there been anything unsaid in terms of the dangers uh, this president uh, poses to 
the country, to our democracy, to our national sense of even uh, community and self. Uh, what is there left to say? And I, I, my heart goes out to the uh, oh, you know, opinion writers, the op-ed writers, the columnists, because they are forced to, you know, twice a week, maybe even three times a week, say something. What is there to be said? What is left unsaid? And so to continue to react uh, seems, uh, first of all, futile, seems like a waste of energy. And um, I I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I am increasingly having difficulty uh, even caring right now to wade in the fact that there is an impeachment inquiry going on right now, which I don't want to listen to. I tried. I tried the first. I listened to Nadler's opening statement. I watched the I watched the heckler get dragged out, accusing Nadler and I think other Democrats of being traitors. And then I heard uh, was it Representative Collins, who's the ranking Republican, just do what these guys do, which is live in this other world, a world of their creation. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what else one is to do. I, I, I what else? I, I don't. I am stymied. I really am. And as I was flipping through the papers this morning and yesterday and Saturday and and finding nothing reaching out to me. It occurred to me that, for instance, Sunday's New York Times, I'm sure a newspaper that uh, gets a lot of eyeballs. The New York Times on Sunday was replete with the usual <laughs> Stories I didn't want to read. And it even had a large special section. A story about a woman, 40 years old, a Paralympian, winning gold at the Olympic, Paralympic Games, and and others. I mean, she's incredibly, uh, incredibly successful athlete, but in constant pain, and how um, she eventually, because she lived in Belgium, where it is um, legal to have a doctor give you a lethal dose of something, and euthanasia is legal and about her finally choosing to die and I read that why did I read that I read it just because it was one person's story I guess and I thought you gotta read something but after I read it and as moved as I was by it I thought why don't the people who run newspapers, who run television and movies and all the things that we take in, why don't they know that right now we could use a break? If you're going to do a special section in a time when the news is just uniformly depressing, why do a special section (laughs) on a woman choosing to kill herself? Are there not stories that would make us laugh and think, that would make us remember 
that the world is not filled with horrible human beings committing crimes and killing each other, torturing each other. Those stories do not have to be boring. They don't have to be incidental. And they are necessary now. If you are an empathic person, which I unfortunately am, that's something that you're either born with it or you're not, I think. But it is hell right now. <laughs> because everything makes a knot in your stomach tighten up just a little bit more makes your shoulders sag just a little bit more. And I don't understand why the new fucking York Times doesn't realize and why the others don't realize that there are so many of us out there that do try to keep up with the steady onslaught of miserable reality. But we know there are other things out there that would make us joyful, that would make us laugh. Why are they giving those parts of our reality such short shrift when we need them more than ever? The phones are working, by the way. I can't laugh at, you know, I know some people get their laughs with Saturday Night Lives, uh, you know, cold opens and their, and, and, and with uh, Colbert and the others. I can't even laugh at them anymore. I don't see anything funny here. It's too damn serious to me. And I have always said, the one thing I will never lose is my sense of humor. It is like a major part of me. And I still have a sense of humor. It's just not able anymore to find much humor in the reality of this sordid, sordid cabal that have taken all the power in our country, oh, have been given all the power in the country by our um, fellow citizens. Unbelievable to me. So I'm asking for Better stories, please. Now, one that I did read, and I do want to share with you, is a story of another country. Americans are notorious for not traveling as much as other people in the world do, uh, not being able to compare really what we have here and assume is normal to what other people living in other countries have. My God, there was a picture, <laughs> just occurred to me, there's a picture in the travel section of the New York Times on Sunday. It was an airport, and I think it was in Singapore. This picture was of a magical place. It was a picture of a place that you would just want to run into and stay. It was a picture of this glorious place with hanging gardens and greenery and beautiful. It, it was just beautiful. I did not read the article, but I thought, that's an airport in Singapore? <laughs> and then I thought of LaGuardia, Newark, Philly, O'Hare, the airports here, and even the good airports here. 
can't hold a candle. And yet Americans have been fed this thing that we are the best. We, the way we do things, is the way everybody should do things. We are the exemplars. And increasingly that is so not true. It in fact is increasingly laughable. So there was a story, a first person story, written by a husband and wife, both are writers, and they lived in New York City, and they had jobs, and they had a little daughter, and um, they started worrying, struggling, because their incomes were, you know, depending on who got a job here, who got a thing to write here. And so it was sort of up and down. Then their concern, once they have the child, the child care is going to wreak havoc on their budget. Then they started thinking about the fact that they're always desperately trying to get health insurance since they both work sort of in an ad hoc kind of way. And then out of the blue, a job offer comes from Finland to the wife in, of this couple. And she is uh, of Finnish birth. And so they decided after a lot of conversation, geez, I don't know, should we? Yeah, hmm, they picked up and went. They wrote a piece that every American should read about life. They're just one year in, no, two years in. Life in another country that does things in another way. Finland almost regularly now in any kind of metric that is used by whatever international agency that is trying to measure such things as people's quality of life and satisfaction. Finland is forever coming out on top. Happiest people, less least stressed people, healthiest, everything. Now the picture we have here in the United States of Finland and those other Nordic countries is that they're socialists. So you pay incredibly high taxes and you give up a lot of freedom, not to mention your money. That these places are not good for entrepreneurs, for capitalism, for anything. And it shows that is a talking point by American capitalists. <laughs> the reality is, is that capitalists in Finland are doing just fine. Capitalists in Finland live large. Yeah, they pay more taxes. But you know what? They have a healthy, happy workforce that they are not really responsible for as employers. They have capitalism in Finland and these other Nordic countries work hand in hand with the government. The government, understandably, reasonably, takes care of health care takes care of education and thus gives to the capitalists a happy, healthy workforce. Here's some of what these two say. And it shows that we're so blind, we're so stubborn, 
we're so incapable of breaking out of a bad situation. It's like we're in an abusive marriage of sorts and we can't or we're fearful of making a change. It's a big change. But it isn't throwing capitalism out and it's not becoming socialists. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren transplanted to Finland would be, yeah, regular politicians there. But they wouldn't be called socialists. These two who move from the stressful anxiety of living in the United States are now automatically covered no matter what by taxpayer-funded universal health care. And they point out that the quality of the health care they receive is in every way as good as anything they experienced in this country. And they get that good health care without any paperwork, without any confusing things where you haggle over what is covered and what is not. Their child attends an ethnically diverse public daycare center that they say is unbelievable with its enrichment activities and professionalism. You know, they, it is not free. You know what they pay for having their child in this safe, wondrous place while they work? $300 a month. And that's the maximum that can be paid in Finland. Finland is known as having one of the world's best K-12 through educational systems at no cost to anyone attending. College in Finland also is tuition free. If they were to have a second child, they would get paid parental leave for almost one year that the husband and wife can share. It is normal to have four, five, six weeks of paid vacation. And the thing is, is the Finnish economy is booming. So we've been brought up to believe that if there is this kind of system, that business goes <laughs> And it is not true. The fact of the matter is, Finland is home to some of the world's wealthiest companies. Extraordinarily successful global companies. J.P. Morgan, doing some due diligence, uh, came to a surprising conclusion in a, a report that they released last year, which said... that Finland, Norway, the entire Nordic region is not only just as business-friendly as the United States, but also better than the United States on some key free market indexes, including greater protection of private property, less impact on competition and more openness in trade. According to the World Bank, doing business in these countries is actually easier overall than it is in the United States.
This is why people in Europe, people in these countries look at us and they can't believe what they see. They know the wealth we have. And they cannot comprehend why we tolerate what we have in this country. The widening wealth gap. The homeless. The hungry. The uninsured. To other people in this world, we are not just a laughing stock now because of the president we elected, but we are crazy people. Beaten down people or something or stupid that we would tolerate the way we live. We've been brainwashed to think the way we live is freedom. These two writing this article say they have never felt freer. They're paying more in taxes, it's true. They have never felt freer. They don't have anywhere near the stress. Finland's free market economy has been punching far above its weight. It, the, the Finns have one of the world's largest mobile phone companies, one of the world's largest elevator manufacturers, two of the world's most successful mobile gaming companies, you go there, you see fancy cars, upscale malls. It's not some grim, grim, gray, socialist country. It is a different approach to capitalism. These Nordic nations, like Finland, have arrived in a place that we have yet to figure. And they describe it thusly. It's a simple formula. Capitalism works better when employees are paid decent wages and are supported by high-quality, democratically accountable public services that enable everybody to live healthy, dignified lives and to enjoy real equity of opportunity, not just some fairy tale crapola that we keep telling ourselves. A child in Finland has so much of a better opportunity to rise above where his or her parents were monetarily. It's provable. Here? But this only works if capitalists and the corporations they own understand that they have something to gain and for some reason American capitalists must be the stupidest of all or so greedy that it overwhelms their reason A little more from these two, just to get a sense of another place. Over the past 50 years, if you had invested in Nordic equities, stuck a bunch of money into just 
that part of the world's economy. You would have earned a higher annual real return than the American stock market during the same period. And that is data that comes from, again, global banks. Nordic capitalists are not stupid. They know that they are going to earn handsome financial returns, even after they pay those bigger taxes. They keep enough of their profits to live in luxury, to wield influence, acquire social status. The middle class in Finland, they're happier too than anyone who calls themselves middle class around here. Their lives are higher quality than their American counterparts and with less strife, stress, and hassle. The reality is for these capitalists in the Nordic countries, they understand that paying taxes is actually a convenient way for them to outsource to the government the work of keeping their workers healthy and educated, happy and stress-free. Companies in Finland don't worry about uh, insuring their workers or finding workers that are educated enough. They're free to focus on their business, not all this stuff. When capitalists perceive government as a logistical ally rather than an ideological foe, and when all citizens have a stake in high-quality public institutions, it is flat-out amazing how well things can get done. Caller, I'll be with you in just one second. These two, now living in Finland, say that we mislabel Americans forever mislabel what goes on in Nordic nations as socialism. And we blind ourselves to what the Nordic region really is. It is where capitalists invest in long-term stability and human flourishing while maintaining healthy profits. That is the reality of these Nordic countries. Capitalists here have a slash and burn approach, right? And look what it's gotten them. Lots of money, I suppose, huh? They've slashed taxes, they've weakened government, they've crushed unions, they've privatized essential services, they've left their workers vulnerable. And the reality is, is they've placed capitalism, as we practice it, in grave danger. And that comes from capitalists here who are watching. Anyway, don't think that the way we do things here is some kind of ideal because in point of fact, that is rarely the case. Rarely the case. Caller, are you there? Go ahead, please. Hi, Lynn Ray in uh, Lawrenceville. How are you? Today? Hi, Ray. 
hey, good luck on the move. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you a story, then I have a question I want to pose to you, and, and maybe you could take it to your sister or to the listeners. I, a, a number of years ago, I was in um, Amsterdam, and I, I was staying in a posh hotel I had no business being in, and I was uh, chatting to a charming 60-year-old fellow who ran the coffee stand at the lobby. Um, he, was a, he was an Amsterdamer. And we were just chatting, and he obviously saw I didn't belong in this place, so he was opened up to me. But he talked about riding the bikes. He said, uh, the doctors and the, and the politicians and the lawyers and the common people all ride together in the same bike lanes. And he said, here in the Netherlands, the rich share with us. But then he paused, and then he kind of, with a twinkle in his eye, he said, because we make them. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's not their own, it's not that they're so much more generous or kind anywhere else. It's, we have to make it happen, right? But they also see that they're doing just fine there and, in fact, live well, in a happier environment. Every, yeah. Well, that's, that's my, that was the question I had because I'm, I'm looking at our own side. Like, like if we solve the problem, would our ideology go away? And I, I wonder about the U.S. because it's such a – we've been formed by these crazy religious that showed up from – that were kicked out of everywhere, and they all ended <laughs> up over here. If we prove – to these, the, 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 uh, you know, the businessmen, the capitalists, that you will make, if we could wave a magic wand, said you're going to make just as much money, but the common people will enjoy life and, and prosper, would they, st- I think they'd still object to it because what your brother wrote in his disgust, they are disgusted by the poor or the common people. They, they would, they think they deserve to suffer, you know? Yeah. There's an ideology behind it. Yeah, they think people are poor because they're they're lazy. Yeah, and if we I wonder if they would wouldn't still object. And and on our side, here here's the question I wanted to pose. I've been thinking about this, like climate change. I can't wrap my head or arms around it as well as some other people because I it seems so big. But I ask myself if the very scientists that are pointing to climate change and, and, and can measure all that, if they came up with a magic wand and a solution, let's say a completely harmless bacteria that ate plastic in the ocean and wind-powered devices that took carbon out of the atmosphere so that, oh, my God, we're, putting, we're taking more carbon out than we're putting in. If, if we solved all those problems, would we say, okay, go ahead and blow everything out your smokestacks, no worries, go on, you know. Would we would we retire from the field? Would if it would could we, be, you know, would our side say, okay, you solved the pollution problem, we're going to drop the whole thing, and you can go on polluting all you want because you've come up with this technique to take the pollution out, or do or do we? Is there a part of it that we're disgusted by it? Well, heck, if they found a way to pollute but immediately get rid of the pollution then they're not polluting i'd say go for it no okay but but stop. i don't know I, <coughs> would it, if we had the oceans were full of bacteria that would eat the plastic would it be okay to throw the plastic dump it out there in the middle of the ocean <laughs> or is there something more well is it's there a judgment is there a moral judgment going on right Oh, you know what? We'd also find out that there's something about putting those back, you know, an unintended consequence of that bacteria well, eating all the plastic, but right? But you're arguing with the premise. Let's assume the premise is true, that there is, they are completely harmless, and that the devices that take the carbon out of the atmosphere are harmless. And it, would we say, well, go ahead, Procter & Gamble, go ahead, U.S. Steel, go ahead, uh, you know, or would... or or is there an argument not being made on our side? Well, we're ruining but, the environment, and we're disgusted by your behavior. Yeah, but that argument won't fly if there it won't fly. Our disgust, I, I know. <coughs> our I disgust at greed and 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 the you know what corporations do and all and what is um. I don't know. I don't think it moves the needle at all and, in fact, sometimes creates the opposite reaction. 
where we then become these elitists, right? These moralizers, these these um, better than thou people, right? Right, right. That that the, the Trumpians feel judged. <coughs> yes. You know, not disagreed with. They we're clearly disagreeing with them, but they also feel like. And we're disgusted by them. Right. And I don't think that that's a good idea. Uh, I, I mean, I don't no. think, yeah, no. you don't want to engender that reaction. And I, frankly, as I think you know, sometimes react in the same way to these judgmental, self-righteous jerks on our side. Yes, I think it's the arrogance of the intellectual, or, or, or the intellect. You know, they, yeah. You know, Wisdom and, and, and intelligence aren't the same thing. No, they are not. No. And the, some of the stupidest people I know have degrees up the, you know, you know, <laughs> PhDs, MDs, JDs, and they're idiots because they're, right. there's different kinds of intelligence, right? So, no, I do not worship well, at, you know, the IQ altar. Right. But I just... just I've been stopping to think if if they if I solve my objections, would I still object? Well, I would not because I would not because oh, I, I would not either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would not. I, I would think it's insane. I would think, geez, if you can do this, <laughs> then why don't you figure out a way to do it without sort of raping and pillaging as much? Why it, without making such a problem? I mean, but nah. What a pipe dream you've spun here, though. No, but I don't. I don't know that everyone who's 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 on that that train, you know, uh, climate change, uh, you know, existential threat, would agree with you and I. No, I, I'm no, I'm sure not. I I think there's an there's an unspoken motivation, and I think we should be speaking our motivation. Anyways, that was it. <laughs> well, that was good. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank All you. Right. Talk to you soon. Okay, right. Bye-bye. Uh, this came in from... Uh, I'm sorry, just something else came in. I'm thinking, I think you have the wrong uh, email account here. I've just been sent something about a gun holster factory. I mean, like I'm interested in... Okay. This is from Rob in Lancaster. I was driving to work this morning, and as I was changing the radio station, I came across one of the morning shows saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Really? <laughs> kind of radio do you have out there? I think I know. I immediately turned it off. I didn't think. I just reacted. At that moment the reality of how strongly I have been affected by the crisis we face in this country really hit me. I have always been so proud to be an American. I would get chills when I heard the national anthem and saw our flag flying. It was our national anthem, all of us, there was a time not very long ago when regardless of our differences, when push came to shove, we had one thing in common. We were Americans and we came together. I honestly don't know if that will ever happen again. I never could have believed there would come a day when I would be ashamed to be an American. And yet I am. On the way to work this morning, I heard the Pledge of Allegiance on the radio, and I turned it off, and it broke my fucking heart. Wow. Rob. I understand completely. I, it's beautifully, beautifully said, and, and thank you. Wow. I'm sorry. We have a caller. Caller, go ahead, please. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, I, I was listening to um, you talking about Norway and their so-called socialism and how much it hurts their 
their bottom line, people making money, apparently, the way we hear it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it makes, and that's off us for a long time. And I think what our country, especially when it comes to like providing needs, not just the poor, but just basic things like that, they're always afraid somebody's going to get something for nothing or they're going to get something they don't deserve because they're lazy or they're stupid or they're evil. And, and they're just afraid somebody's going to get something that, that we rest of us who can pay for. And I, and, and what that comes down to, to me, I've been thinking about this a long time. It's, it's envy. Really, in some bizarre, quirky, weird way, it's envy. Not wanting someone to have... Really? It's envy? Well, I agree envy seems to be a big player. But I, from the other way around, it seems like some people want others to envy them. And in order for that, I mean, like a lot of the ethos of America is to have your neighbors struggling to keep up with you, right? I guess. I mean, because I I don't, I don't, well, I think you're, you're talking about what the other, Ray, the caller before you was talking about. I think you're talking about an ethos that came over with the pilgrims and the others who found, and it's a harsh and cruel kind of view of human nature. It's not generous. Uh, it's punishing. But it's weird because when I used to be a Christian when I was a little kid. And I paid attention. And it, it, this, kind, this conversation came up well, mostly, if it came up at all, this is when we were talking about poor black people. Now mm-hmm. I'm talking, you know, 45, 50 years ago when I remember this coming up. But now it seems to be applying to everybody, and especially minorities still. So they still get a, a lot of this nonsense, too. Um, it is harsh. It sure is not um, based on really generosity, a sense of uh, something bigger than oneself. There is a selfishness at the heart of the way Americans seem to perceive the, the American way of life that has not, it just has not done us uh, any good, any good at all. I mean, having been a former, having been a Christian at one point in my life, and I did go to Catholic school too, I, I kind of like know some things. I'm no expert, but at least I have what Christianity was purported to be. And, and you know, and, and you know, if you look at like the seven deadly sins, mm. holy cow, we celebrate them. We don't. We celebrate them. them. You're saying right. We celebrate them. Excess. Yeah, I mean, because we celebrate I mean, excess. So that's gluttony and it's greed. And you're right. It's all of this excess is viewed as success. I was thinking that we have such a corrupted uh, idea of what success is, of, of what is uh, something to be reached for. Uh, even people defining success as money, how much money you have. When anyone who would sit for two seconds in any real Christian church would know that that is not, not what Christianity preaches. Not. If you go out to like any of these suburbs, you know, and, and I like to point to Cranberry all the time, um, the mega churches have basically they've excused making money. 
God wants you to be successful. God wants you to, to make as much money as possible. And it's like how they twisted what I learned is amazing and they can somehow rationalize it in their brains. Yeah. And, and it's like this is awful yeah. stuff. And I don't know how to come back from this. I don't know either because we've been propagandized and brainwashed uh, and we've we've lost the kind of glue that used to hold us together and because there are powerful forces that are have been operating to their own advantage um, to create division amongst us to make it to turn us against each other I don't know it's too big for me to figure it all out, but I do know that we are not the country, like the letter writer said, we're not the country that I used to be proud of, even though I was aware of its, you know, of its flaws and its, its history. Um, I still saw a country that was striving to better itself, and I don't see that anymore. I see... I see ugliness. And it, I think a question to ask, like, good Trump-supporting Christians is, so do you think Donald Trump will go to heaven? You know, you think about the camel in the eye of the needle and all that nonsense there. You know, <laughs> along with all his other shenanigans. Well, if he goes to heaven, then I'm signing up for a ticket to hell. <laughs> tell you that I I, I got better places to be I think yeah yeah really man hey thank you thank you for and thank you for for struggling with these things like um, a good thinking human being thank you you're welcome I hope you have a a good day (laughs) (laughs) me too you too Bye. bye 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 um I want to note um, the passing of Carol Spinney, um, Big Bird, Oscar the Grouch. He was the he was the guy inside. He came here uh, to an event in Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know, ten years ago or so. I don't know. I think. It, Rob Rogers and the museum brought him in. Uh, not museum, Tunesium. Uh, um, and he was a delightful man. And I was reading his an article about him, and he said this um, in an interview in 1982, Um, I think most people completely forget what it was like being a kid by the time they grow up. But I never got over it. It was almost a problem for me, in fact, trying to grow up. (laughs) Um, And then someone said of him, there is something about him, not many people have it. He can go back in time almost and recreate the feelings and thoughts and the questions and the fears of a youngster. And I thought, oh my God, we have been getting schooled in Mr. Rogers uh, quite a bit of late. And it's the same thing, these two gentlemen. They both knew and never forgot the fears the thoughts, the feelings of children. And it's, it is tough losing them. Here it says that what Carol Spinney always felt is the important things that kids should know is it is good to speak up. It's okay to make a mistake. It's all right to be sad sometimes. Sounds like Fred Rogers. 
this is this kind of sweetness, kindness, empathy is is so runs so against what we've been talking about, what seems to be now at the heart of our country's soullessness, cruelty. We are a cruel nation, and not many Americans will will acknowledge that. We are a most cruel people. So just one more thing with Mr. Rogers. I, I had told you I'd hope you'd read uh, Jean Marie Laskus's uh, piece on, on Fred um, that was in the New York Times Magazine a week ago. And I, th- there were so many letters uh, to the Times about that piece and I just wanna I wanna read two because I think and both of them are from guys. Just it shows the impact that one gentle man can have on people, on people's hearts, and consequently then on us all. This is written by a man from Maine. What a lovely, thoughtful portrait. I have been drawn to Fred Rogers for years. He truly was not a saint. He was just a man who made a choice and lived his life in accordance with that choice. Each of us could make the same choice. Today is a new day. So today, I will try again. And then this, about a guy who did something healthy. This, this will, uh, will end, no, I'm not quite ending on this. Because when I began the show, I was talking about how reading the paper, which has for me all my life been a joy, I've been a news junkie since I was a child. I loved reading about, knowing about what was happening in the world. And now I can't bear it. So this gentleman from Ridgecrest, California wrote after reading Jean's piece, I feel fortunate to have stumbled across this beautifully written article about a beautiful icon in American culture, a man who achieved success by being himself and encouraging us to do the same. I read the New York Times every morning to keep up to date on the craziness in our world. But this morning, I have decided to stop reading after this article and enjoy the rest of the day. Contemplating this man, Fred Rogers, and the lessons he had to offer. That's a man who made a, a good choice. The one story I saw about something that wasn't the the norm was story of the incredible gutsiness and courage of a little boy. Did you see that story? Wow. Hard to imagine. This is a five-year-old boy left alone with his uh, 18-month-old sibling, I believe, and somewhere in nowhere, Alaska, a remote village, and the they were alone. I mean, whatever adults were supposed to be caring for them had left them, and on top of that, then the uh, power went out, and the child got very nervous. And he, this five-year-old boy picks up the 18-month-old child and goes out into 
31 degree below zero weather and walks half a mile to the next to a neighbor for help wearing no shoes just his socks and not even a coat I don't think I don't even know how he survived that if you've ever experienced 31 degree below zero I have it it just freezes you immediately even if you've got you know like warm clothing on wow what an extraordinary little child and um, mm, bittersweet kind of story okay that's it for me I've done for today and I'll be here tomorrow I think my sister Susan will be joining us and we'll try to be a little more upbeat it, it's what I keep trying to happen when Susan's on that we can laugh a little bit more. I will try. We need to have a great gray day, okay? Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoint of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.